Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Our guest today is James Davis. He is the chairman, CEO, and president of Quest Diagnostics. We're proud to have Quest Diagnostics as an ACHE premier corporate partner. Our premier corporate partners play a vital role in supporting ACHE's vision and mission to advance healthcare leadership excellence. Now, Jim became CEO and president in November of 2022 and took on the additional title of chairman in April of 2023. He joined Quest in April of 2013 and initially served as senior vice president, diagnostic services. He was named senior vice president operations in February of 2014. Now, before joining Quest, Jim served as CEO of Insight Inc., a medical device company. Prior to that, he held senior management positions in a two-decade career in General Electric's aviation and healthcare businesses, including GE's MRI business for five years. Jim holds a master's degree in management from Sloan School of Management at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, a master's degree in science from MIT, and a bachelor's degree in aeronautical engineering from the University of Michigan. With that introduction, Jim, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Hey, Eric, thanks. And yes, please call me Jim. The only one who calls me James is still my mother. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll do, Jim, from here on out. And so the first question we typically like to ask our guests is, let's talk about your career journey. What really led you into the field of diagnostics? Well, that's a great question, Eric. And uh, based on my education background, you might wonder how how did an aeronautical engineer uh, end up as a CEO of Quest Diagnostics? Yeah. And, you know, it, it was a bit of a journey, but um, hopefully it's uh, it's all somewhat logical. You know, I started my career in engineering um, in GE aircraft engines, designing turbine blades, compressor blades, and, um, you know, went back to school, got a management degree, um, and uh, joined McKinsey and Company for, um, for four or five years. And then I actually went back to the GE aircraft uh, engines business um, in Cincinnati, Ohio. It was, it was a terrific business. Really, really loved it. Um, still get passionate about seeing airplanes in the sky. And um, along the way, um, GE then transferred me to their healthcare business. And that was in 2001. And I fell in love with healthcare. And, you know, GE healthcare is very much a diagnostics company, um, but they do it from a radiological imaging standpoint. And so um, I had the opportunity to work across numerous what we call modalities, imaging modalities, CT, PET-CT, but spent the majority of my time in the magnetic resonance imaging business, which at its heart is a diagnostics tool. And then somewhere along the way, uh, Quest Diagnostics called me. Uh, The CEO uh, at the time had worked for Philips Healthcare, also a big imaging company. We knew each other, and uh, he recruited me here to Quest Diagnostics back in 2013. So it's been a great 10-year run so far, and um, you know I love. I'm a passion, just as passionate about lab-based diagnostics as I am about uh, radiological-based diagnostics. Well, that's fantastic, Jim. And a lot of the conversation today is going to focus on automation, artificial intelligence, talking about automation and AI in the lab. So in those early days of Quest, I guess, what are some of the examples when you guys were using automation back when you first started? 
Yeah, well, you know, when I first came into um, Quest Diagnostics um, and having come from other manufacturing industries, namely um, you're building, you know, X-ray machines, CT, MRI, and then building, um, you know, high precision aircraft engines. I was always struck by the level of automation in those other industries versus the level of automation that I saw in the laboratory industry. And when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, some fairly simple tasks like pipetting blood out of a tube into four other smaller tubes, um, pipetting urine into, you know, from a big cup into smaller, you know, vessels that we then put on to various instruments. And, you know, you watch the inflow of specimens into the laboratory, people putting uh, labels on tubes and things like that. So, I, I would say relative to other industries, the lab industry was, was still very much at the early stages uh, from an automation standpoint. And so these are the things that, you know, we started to focus on at, at Quest Diagnostics. And then we're looking at specific examples there. You did a great job of laying out some of the ways that automation can, can support employees at these healthcare organizations. But let's talk about ways that Quest has been able to use that and have been valuable to different staff members and then where you see this evolving here. Yeah. So the early easiest things from an automation standpoint are, are actually the handling of the specimen. There's just, you know, it, it's hard to attract and um, and retain people to sit and pipette urine specimens all day long. It's just not a very, very fun or pleasant task. And so these were some of the easy wins, pipetting urine, pipetting blood, putting labels on tubes. It, it is more productive for sure, but it's also, you know, better quality. I mean, fewer mistakes are made when you can automatically pipette things from one container to another. Sure. You know, during COVID, it was also a safety issue. Remember the swab went into a tube. Well, eventually that tube comes to the laboratory and you mm -hmm. have to cap it. And while you would quickly kill the virus, we didn't want to put our workers in, in harm's way. So we had equipment that would automatically decap the tube, remove the swab, and actually pipette out of that tube into a, a different container that would be fed into a, an analyzer. So these were some of the, the quick wins. But we have a couple of very advanced laboratories where um, we've completely automated these laboratories. So the minute the specimen comes in, it's scanned so that we know what tests we need to run on that specimen. And then we put it in a puck and a puck carries it to the various analyzers in the lab that need to do testing on that specimen. So not all of our labs are at that level of automation, but we're, we're quickly moving into that direction. Jim, a lot of healthcare leaders listening to this podcast and obviously so much buzz out there talking about AI these days and where it's heading. So what are some of the I guess, negative consequences that you see of implementing AI and automation um, in the workplace that healthcare leaders should be aware of? Yeah. You know, I, I really don't see a ton of negative implications with the use of automation or AI. And, and let me let me start first with, with automation. On any given night, we can process somewhere between 600,000 and 700,000 specimens. I can tell you, even right this moment, there's still a labor shortage in this country. It is difficult to find people to come in. You know, we work during the middle of the night, right? We start in earnest at 9, 10 o'clock at night and work through 6, 7 o'clock in the morning to process most of the specimens. Now, we still have a day shift, but 
it's it's tough finding people that want to work those hours and and so there's definitely there's a role here um, when you can't get enough people to do this work second and i really want to stress this is there is a quality improvement the fewer times you actually physically touch a specimen the better right mm -hmm. if you're not putting human hands on it introducing heat or other potential contaminants into the specimens it, it's much better from a quality standpoint. So we, if if we free up, you know, we can, people that were aliquoting urine, we can free those people up to do higher value added thing. And whether that's work in a call center, whether that's draw blood, but people, you know, we can retrain them for other positions. Um, but I still start with, there's a shortage of a talent, of talent. Now, when it comes to the use of, of artificial intelligence, again, we're always going to start with a with the precept of it has to improve quality. That's why we would use artificial intelligence. And I can tell you across many parts of the laboratory, you can read the output of, of a mass spec machine. You can interpret curves. And after human eyes do this for eight hours at a time, sometimes a machine is better at interpreting a curve than the human eyes are. We have a lot of that look in microscopes all day long, whether it's for pap smears, whether it's for anatomical pathology. And soon enough, we're going to aid those, not replace, but aid in the diagnosis of, of disease with the use of artificial intelligence. And it will improve the quality of the work that the laboratory business does. So if I'm listening and I'm considering and I'm not there at that level yet of putting automation and AI into my workforce, what are some of the things I should consider? And I know a lot of organizations are different sizes and different makeups, um, but what are some of those things that healthcare leaders should consider before going down some of the some of the solutions you just talked about? Yeah, well, I think the first thing with, with automation, it really depends on the scale of your laboratory. Uh, if you're a small laboratory and you're not handling between 600 and 600 and 700,000 specimens a night. Now we don't right. do that just in one laboratory, but there are times when human labor um, can do things more quickly than even some of the robots we have in our lab. However, when you have scale, scale can matter and th these things are, are not cheap. So there has to be a return on investment and ROI Yep. And so if you're not of the right size, then maybe automation doesn't make sense for you. From an AI standpoint, first, many of the providers of equipment into our industry are, are really the drivers of the use of artificial intelligence. So companies like Copan in microbiology, companies like Sysmex in urinalysis and hematology, hopefully Hologic here very soon in, in cytology, these are some of the companies that are putting AI um, right into their platform that it may not make the definitive diagnosis, but it's going to it's going to help the microbiologist. It's going to help the hematologist make decisions uh, much more quickly. And, and talking about that, you know, we're so grateful to have you with us today to, to be able to share your perspective. You're talking about, you know diagnosis. What are some of the other things when you kind of look down the road and you go, okay, maybe it's five years from now, maybe it's 10 years from now. Where do you see automation going? Yeah. Well, first the automation will continue. We're, we're, we and other providers in this industry look at every single manual process in these laboratories. And if there's a way for us to automate some of the routine tasks of processing blood and urine and tissue, we're certainly going to do that. 
What excites me most, though, is where do we think AI will go in this industry? And, you know, this country still does probably between 40 and 50 million pap smears a year. And if I look at the average age of the people in our laboratories that read these pap smears, cytotechs, cytotechs, you know, the average age is probably well north of 55 years of age. We're having a hard time finding cytologists, um, cytotechs to do this work. So we're really excited about the prospect of bringing digitally enabled tools to actually, you know, these are screening exams. And I can tell you, mammography, which is another screening-based test for women for screening for uh, breast cancer, there's tools in the radiology world that are reading these mammographies and assisting the clinicians. That's going to come true in the laboratory industry for pap smears within the next couple of years. The other thing that I think is really exciting is in pathology. Now, radiology, again, is probably 20 to 25 years ahead of pathology in terms of digitizing images and then applying algorithms to look at those images in order to help the clinician make the best possible diagnosis. And we're probably in the first in inning when it comes to, number one, just digitizing the slide. You still have to make the slide with the tissue specimen on the slide, but after that, you can digitize it because you can't apply algorithms unless you have a digital image. But once you've digitized that, there's a host of companies out there that are hard at work and bringing artificial intelligence to look at these various image profiles to help the clinician make a diagnosis. And I'm telling you, in another five to 10 years, pathologists are going to be aided by these tools, not eliminated at all. Mm. It's, it's, it's to reduce the number of false positives and to reduce the number of false negatives that still exist. We're human after all, so errors will occur. Now, fascinating to see where we will be. And as you said, the five to 10 years, you've been listening to Jim Davis. He is the chairman, CEO, and president of Quest Diagnostics. Uh, we thank Quest Diagnostics for their support as an ACHE premier corporate partner. It's been such a pleasure, Jim. Thanks for joining us today. Eric, thanks for the time. And uh, I look forward to sharing more insights in the future. Thank you. And we thank you so much for listening today. As always, we will catch you next time right here on the Healthcare Executive Podcast from ACHE. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ACHE.org.